Great Lake was a small family. Daughter, little brother, and their mother and father. Every day before he left for the hunt, father would coat all of mother's skin with a red medicinal paint that was meant to protect her from harm. As soon as father was gone, mother would leave the home to collect water. When she returned, her skin was always free of the red paint and her hair was always unbraided. Obviously, the father noticed this trend and thought it was strange, but being the passive-aggressive type, he didn't want to ask mother about it, so, like a responsible parent, he drew his children into his marital conflict. He asked his daughter, What does your mother do while I'm away? What happens to her red paint? Daughter told father that mother left for the water every day and was usually gone a very long time. This only made the father more suspicious. So the next day, after painting his wife, instead of hunting, he hid by the lake shore where his family went to draw water. He waited in the tall, sharp dune grass, hiding silently, barely breathing, as his wife approached the endless lake shore. He discovered that not only was his wife having an affair, but worse, she was carrying on with a water spirit. In a blind rage, he leapt from his hiding place and cut the fae into sorry, the fae spirit into pieces and lopped off his wife's head and cut her into pieces as well. He skinned a segment of her ribs to take home for himself and put the rest of her body and head into the lake. Cue up the ominous music as father brought the side of mother meat home to prepare for his family. The little brother was the first to know something was off with the meat. Still, daughter insisted that he show his father respect by eating the meat. After a cozy, home-cooked, cannibalistic meal, the father told his children he was going out to hunt some more, and he actually had no intention to return. Children didn't know this yet, though. When he had left, the children were sitting at the lodge while the daughter made moccasins and was putting porcupine quills on them. It was a nice, peaceful crafting day until they heard the voice. I love my children, but they don't love me. They have eaten me. Confused, daughter asked little brother to look out their door. Imagine the poor little boy's horror when he looked out the little door and saw his own mother's severed head bouncing its way towards them. Shut the door, daughter cried. She gathered her red, white, and yellow porcupine quills, her moccasins, and her root dagger. She could hear the head as it rocked against the door seeking entry. Mother's voice called sweetly between persistent thudding. Daughter! Daughter, please open the door. The head would roll away from the door so that it would get a, you know, running start, if you will, <laughs> to hit the door harder. When the head had rolled away, daughter appeared, opened the door, grabbed little brother, and stealthily sidestepped the head as it rolled into the lodge at top speed, slamming into the other wall with a copious crash as dishes and furniture shattered. Daughter slammed the door behind the head, and she and her brother ran away as fast as they could. They could hear their mother calling out to them as she managed to break through the lodge door and began to chase after them again. They ran as fast as they could through the forest and the trees as branches scratched their faces. Finally, little brother cried that he was exhausted and simply could not run any further. Daughter took up his robe to carry for him, only to find that the head was gaining on them. As little brother was catching his breath, Daughter spread out a handful of yellow porcupine quills. 
The quills burst into tall, thick beds of prickly pears with long yellow thorns that extended for miles in each direction, barring the path of the severed hen. The two children moved on at an easier pace until the little brother was rested enough, and then they went back to running. The head, however, was caught and tangled in the prickly pears. By the time it had broken free, it was bleeding, furious, and had fallen far behind. Unfortunately, their strenuous pace had again exhausted little brother. He cried out that he could not go on. Daughter stopped, and while brother caught his breath, she threw a handful of white porcupine quills behind them. As soon as the quills hit the ground, a massive grove of bullberry bushes burst from the ground where they fell. The thorny brambles caught the head, slowing it as the children continued their flight. They ran and ran, trying to reach the last known camp of a friendly local tribe. Daughter had ju- could just hear the head rolling through the dried brush, catching up with them. Like most younger siblings, little brother then chose the most frustrating time possible to start whining. He was tired again, too far t- or far too tired to keep running. I imagine daughter had some kind of combination of panic and aggravation as she threw the red porcupine quills behind her. A great hedge of rose bushes erupted from the red porcupine quills, and again the head was trapped and torn by the thorns. The children ran onward. At last the head was catching up to them again, and little brother was ready to collapse from exhaustion. With her last bit of hope, daughter drove her root dagger into the ground. She made a little groove in the dirt and placed the dagger across it, while daughter and little brother walked across the furrow she had made. When they turned around, the little furrow had become a deep, wide chasm. Here, daughter had had enough running and chose to stand her ground. In just a moment, the head had reached the ravine. Daughter, it said sweetly, where did you cross? Daughter set her root dagger across the snail, yeah, across the ravine when the head began to roll across, leaving a bloody snail trail behind it. When it was halfway across, daughter tipped the stick and the head fell into the ravine, which slammed shut over it. The children approached the camp they had been looking for, and they were relieved to hear the loud voice of their father until his words reached them. He was telling the villagers that, much to his horror, his children had killed and eaten their mother. He warned them that if the children came to the village, the people must not accept them and or allow them to enter. When the people saw the children on the edge of town, they tied them up, and the next day the whole camp moved, leaving the helpless children still tied. Unknown to them, an old, old dog who belonged with the village heard their story and took pity on the children. On the night they arrived, she stole a knife and all and some sinew and hid them in the hole where she had had her pups. In the morning, when all the camp had moved and the children lay on the ground aching from having their hands and feet bound all night, daughter was awakened by the soft snuffling of the dog's gray muzzle gently prodding them. When she tried to gnaw at the daughter's ropes with What few teeth she had left were not enough to cut them, but in the wetness, daughter was able to slip free. Once they were free, girl, boy, and dog all began to cry, for they were all alone and completely unprepared for the approaching winter. 
It was in the middle of this hopelessness that the little brother shrieked in terror as a wolf drew near them. Much to their surprise, when daughter looked at the wolf, it fell down, dead. They used the dog's knife to butcher the wolf and used its pelt to make a bed for the old dog. Then something happened, or sorry, then the same thing happened with an antelope, so they used the pelt to make themselves a bed and gave the dog the liver, and the children ate the flesh. When the antelope meat was all gone, the same thing happened with an elk, whose pelt they used for a shelter from the winter, and to mend their clothes and shoes. The same thing then happened again with a buffalo, whose hide they also used to further prep their shelter for winter. Now, if I were daughter and just looking at this many different animals killed them on sight, I'd be real nervous. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm evil, guys. I think I think I need to be kept away from all life. But in the case of the story, it's just one of those magical things that that happens when our heroes need a little divine intervention. Daughter was still worried about winter, and as the fat first snow fell, she wished that they had a real lodge and that her tiny brother was a young man so that he could hunt and help out. She wished they had racks and racks of meat prepared for winter. In the morning, she found, to her surprise, that her wish had come true. Her newly grown brother apparently did not resent having his childhood stolen from him and hunted well enough to feed himself, daughter, and the dog all winter. Daughter fed and befriended two bears, and as she grew in their affection, she sent a raven to all of the nearby villages. The bird told everyone he met all about the beautiful home and scaffolds of meat. The people of the old village began to regret their treatment of the children and moved back to their old village where the children were prospering. All of the members of the village feasted on the children's food, and last of all came their own father. When he joined them, he had the nerve to act like he loved them in order to partake in all that they had created. But instead, daughter commanded her bears to eat her father, and whatever was left they were to throw into the creek. The bears, being the good boys that they are, did as they were told, and the children and their dog lived well from then on. Now the chase scene in this story, which is a Native American tale from the Cheyenne tribe, the chase scene does remind me a lot of Baba Yaga. If you remember like throwing the comb to make a forest appear, that kind of thing to be a barrier in between Vasilisa and Baba Yaga. There's a lot of kind of similar sort of story out beats here. Lots of use of the rule of three, which is always kind of fun to see in stories if you don't mind a little bit of repetition. It just helps things build up to the climax, which is pretty popular in both storytelling and video games and movies. Rule of three's gotta show up and we see it a couple of times here. Um, but yeah, lots of strong Baba Yaga vibes happening in this story, which is funny because that is from all the way over in Russia and that kind of region over there. So it's, it's, I, I love stories that have similarities despite being from very, very far apart. Also, there is kind of a Japanese yokai who also is, takes the form of a severed head that chases down its prey, though it can levitate rather than, uh, rather than just roll around. So it probably takes considerably less damage to gain its prey than the, uh, than the severed head in this story does. Poor thing has to roll around through the thorns. 
The story has terrible consequences for parents committing acts of evil against their children. Typically in Western stories, we do see this occur more so with step-parents than with actual parents. But do bear in mind that before the Grimm brothers edited most of Western fairy tales, it was actually the birth parents that were responsible for abuse in stories like Cinderella and Snow White as well. Even in Hansel and Gretel, though that was during time of horrible, horrible famine, and they were being logical to the point of being heartless, which logic is great, heartlessness is not. You've got to find a balance, guys, right? But um, yeah, so this story has a lot of similar story elements to what we think of as typical fairy tale behavior, despite it coming from a Native American tribe, which often their stories are very, very different from Western fairy tales. So it was kind of interesting to see so many similarities here, again, specifically from the Cheyenne tribe. And uh, I don't know, it's just an interesting story and the eeriness of it, of the imagery of this severed head rolling and calling out to her daughter as she chases them through the woods, I thought made it perfect for spooky season. It's, it's a grim tale despite not being told by the Grimms and uh yeah this is a dark one (laughs) guys it's it's perfect for this time of year but I've been having it kind of in my cap for a while for exactly that reason is it's it's kind of hard to find an occasion to tell a story that's quite this spooky unless we were all like around a campfire at night that might be another great setting for this kind of story but this one i heard it a few years ago and it it gave me the heebie-jeebies for a while so i hope you enjoyed it as much as i do also thank you so much for your patience with allowing me to have repeated episodes last week i uh i was having some serious allergy issues but i got some some itchy eye eye drops for allergies you know me and ragweed we just don't get along very well and uh, I'm sitting here with my pumpkin tea being all fancy and I really do feel much better which makes me think that my allergy season is coming to a close luckily since we moved down to South Carolina my allergy season doesn't really seem to start my ragweed issue until kind of the first week of October and it only goes till about the end of October when I lived back in Michigan I don't know you don't think of plants as living longer in Michigan but for whatever reason up there my allergies would start like the last week of August and it was just a little bit of itchy eyes at the end of August and work its way through in September to just being terrible terrible allergies and it would go until usually until it snowed so a couple months so down here I have really intense miserable like three weeks but it's it's short it's kind of like ripping off a band-aid it's short and painful but I remember in high school being frustrated because I was a choir kid and uh, every year you would have to re-audition for your part in the choir and every year my choir teacher both in high school and in college would put me in higher alto range which is the lower range for women those of you who don't choir um, in the higher alto range because my nose was so stuffed up that my voice was actually a little lower the first few weeks of school and then after a couple months of choir he would move me back up to soprano where I would usually sing but for the first few weeks of school every year even when I was a teenager these allergies just have such a terrible effect on my my stuffy nose and my 
kind of my voice in general. So I'm happy to be feeling much, much better as of the last week, but I am sorry for the inconvenience of replaying episodes that were from spooky season of last year. I did try to keep them thematic for this time of year because fall is here and it's glorious and it's finally not 100 degrees and I hope you enjoyed getting a review of Frankenstein and Dracula. I actually planned on re-releasing those on Halloween, but when my voice decided it was kind of on the borderline of disappearing completely, I thought, eh, maybe I better give it a rest. So I do appreciate you guys being a little forgiving for that for this time of year. Um, I appreciate all of the grace you've given me and for your continued listening to the show. And uh, now that I'm feeling much better, I'm looking forward to jumping right back into a regular schedule. You guys have a wonderful day and Friday we'll return with the Mask of Red Death. Thank you very much.